You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to cover a variety of different topics related to the Georgia football program that have been in the news recently is my longtime co-host, Curtis, and I know the first show of the week for most of the offseason has been our weekly mailbag episodes. We've had a lot of fun doing those throughout the past couple months, and we've gotten into a really nice rhythm with those Monday mailbag episodes, but today, we are going to switch it up just a little bit. Not that we don't have any questions on our running list of questions that you guys have been sending in all offseason. You kept us loaded up all offseason long, and that's been a lot of fun. We've got plenty of questions. But with the news of the past week or so, most of the questions that we have been getting have been extremely similar. There's been a couple of headlines that kind of dominated the news. Obviously, the Eric Gilbert and Darion Kendrick transfers have garnered a lot of attention and are very popular subjects. So as you can imagine, we've gotten many questions about those two, all very much along the same line. So instead of picking which question to read and which listener to give the love to when all those questions are so similar, we're just going to go back, for today at least, go back to an old favorite from back in the early days of the podcast and play some buy or sell. We've basically just taken the general themes of the questions that have been sent in over the past week or two and just kind of morph them into buy or sell format. Pretty simple, right? Before we get started, though, I do quickly want to throw just a couple of quick shout-outs out there to Palmetto Dog and my boy Sumter for being the most recent listeners to throw us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is always very, very much appreciated. And while it might seem like a really small thing, it actually really does help the podcast. I promise you it does. And I don't know how many of you have noticed this. I guess if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, I feel like you've had to have noticed this to some degree. But with the most recent iOS update, they've changed the Apple Podcast interface just a little bit. They've given it an update. And one of the updates that I've noticed is that now, rather than rating podcast on half points... They've gone to a system where they are doing it by the tenth of a point. So previously, your podcast was either a 5 or a 4.5 or a 4 or a 3.5 and on down the line. It went down by half points. 
but they just kind of rounded up. So if you were a 4.6, like if they took all the ratings that have been sent in and averaged them out and you came out to a 4.6, well, they just rounded up to a 5. Or if you were a 4.3, they rounded it up to 4.5. Now, however, they're being far more specific with it. So right now with this new update, we are sitting there with a 4.8 rating, which is great. I'm really happy with that. And I'm so grateful for everyone who has been kind and gracious enough to chip in to help us get there, but it'd be awesome to get that number as high as we possibly can. That really does help the podcast, helps us grow, helps kind of encourage new people to give us a shot. And look, I don't think that we'll ever be able to get to a 5-0 again, because I guess if you get any rating under a 5-0 now, then like you're a 4-9. Maybe that's as high as you can get. I don't know. I'm sure there's some 5-0 show out there, but it isn't us. But let's bump it up to a 4.9, right? Let's get as high as we can. So if you haven't had a chance to rate or review the podcast on Apple Pods, but you, but you still enjoy the show, it would be incredibly awesome of you and very much appreciated if you would help us out with that. If you want to support the podcast other than listening to us, that's really one of the best ways to help us. And as is just spreading the word, because I know a lot of you might not listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and we still love you guys just as much. So if, if you can't rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts, and even if you can, just helping us spread the word about the podcast, introducing friends and family to the show, spreading the word on social media, on message boards, anything and everything like that, it really, really does help. So thank you in advance to everyone who helps us out with that. You guys are awesome. All right, Curtis, we've got a lot on the agenda today, a lot to get to. So let's go ahead and jump right in and let's start here. I think this is the obvious place to start because we all know at this point, the Eric Gilbert transfer, former five star, former number five overall prospect, that along with the fact that most of us believe that we have a big time quarterback finally in JT Daniels, that has Georgia fans really excited about our offense heading into the 2021 season. People are losing their minds right now about how good our offense can be. So much so that we've had more than a few listeners sending questions asking whether this will be the best Georgia offense of all time. Now, honestly, if you go back and look at the record books, our offenses haven't been like traditionally dynamic, hasn't been really a calling card of the Georgia football program. So maybe that's not all that impressive. But Curtis, let's start here. Buy or sell. The 2021 Georgia offense will be the best offense in Georgia history. And you can define best however you want. I think you can go a couple of different directions on this. You buying or selling? I'm going to buy it. And the main reason is just realistically our history of offenses. Well, especially under Bobo, we had some good offenses that put up big numbers at the time. The offenses have truly changed, um, especially when you're going to like what you see at Alabama and LSU the last couple of years. The, the way they are in general has just changed. So I think to keep pace with the changing systems, our offense has to be more explosive. And so I think, yes, it will be the most, the best offense we've ever had, especially probably when yeah. you look at that wise at the end of the season, just the way college football has changed. Yeah, you're exactly right. Touching on the offensive evolution. We've talked about that a lot this off season. I mean, the best offense in Georgia history statistically was 2013. Okay. We put up 484 yards a game that year, 6.59 yards, per play, which is pretty good. Scored 37.8 points per oh, – actually, I think we scored like 36.7 points that per game that year. Actually, 2012 was the year that we had our highest scoring game average, which was 37.8 back in 2012. But statistically, for the most part, 2013 was the best offense we had. 2012, 2013, those two years there with Bobo and Aaron Murray. Um, those, those were awesome offenses. They really were. But you're right, Curtis. Offenses have changed. That was 
I mean, almost a decade ago, really almost a decade ago now. And that was the, that was when like RPOs and I don't want to say spread offenses, but especially tempo type based offenses, they were kind of at their infancy at those points. They were very much the exception. You can see like Gus Malazan running that kind of stuff. Well, not but, only him, but not many people ran like Mike Leach was looked at as like a madman for running the air raid. The mad scientist running air raid stuff. Yeah. yeah. Now air raid is almost a part of everything. It's permeated basically every offense to different degrees in college football. Uh, almost, I would say, I'll, I'll go to let me say every offense in college football outside of maybe like the service academies who are running triple option, they incorporate some type of air raid principles into what they do. They're not full necessarily full on air raid offenses, but air raid offenses like those principles, like like mesh for example. Every team in America runs mesh. Every team in America runs mesh. That was originally a Mike Leach, How Mummy con- Air Raid concept, and now it's in it's in literally every single playbook in America. So you're right, Curtis. And then it wasn't like even back 2012-2013, it wasn't it hadn't permeated through the ranks of college football like it has today. So I think when you look at tempo, teams are running more plays. If you run more plays, you put up more yards. So if you're if you're going on best offense in Georgia history from a, like a statistical standpoint, I don't think that's going to be all that difficult. Really, I don't. I mean, if you look at just last year alone, so again, our best year statistically was 2013, 484 yards per game, 6.59 yards per uh, per play. And then 2012, we scored 37.8 points a game. Last year, with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback for the vast majority of the year, or at least for more than half the year, we averaged 424 yards a game, 6.21 yards per play, and 32.3 points. Now, I know JT came in late in the year, and that kind of skewed things a little bit. But, but let's also throw this out there, Curtis. We did we play any non-conference games last year against the little baby seals, little sisters of the poor? No, there wasn't those that you truly could just put up ridiculous numbers and beat them up and pat everything. Absolutely. If we played Austin P or Charleston Southern, like we're playing this year, playing Charleston Southern this year. If they were on the schedule last year, those numbers would have inflated even more. But here's the big thing, because we're looking at this year, we're trying to project forward. Well, the last year, I mean, it's a COVID year, and it, I don't want to say completely throw it throw it away, but there are some things you can take away. But the most accurate gauge of what we can get. Like, we, in terms of predicting this year based off last year was the last four games, right? With JT, the last four games. And here are the numbers last four games, guys. JT With JT Daniels as our starting quarterback, we averaged 486 yards per game, 7.45 yards per play, like essentially a full, almost a full yard per play more than we did in 2013 and averaged 37.25 points per game. So maybe half a point off of where we were in 2012. All right. And that was also now. Yeah, you can say, well, we played Mississippi State, we played South Carolina. Yeah, okay, we also played a really good Cincinnati team. Uh, Mississippi State's defense is good. Their offense was a work in progress. Defensively, they were pretty good. Missouri was a top twenty-five team when we actually played them. I actually go back. I've been rewatching that game recently. That was a top twenty-five team when we played them. South Carolina was a train wreck. We know that they basically quit. But I, I mean, look, that those are still SEC caliber teams, and we did that with JT with a bum knee and kind of just coming in cold. So it re- it stands to reason now with, with a full offseason, with spring practice under our belt, second-year offensive coordinator, JT, much more healthy than he was last year. All the young guys he had around him uh, at the receiver position. Now, George Pickens, you got to throw that in there. But you got like Mark Rosemey coming back healthy, hopefully, and a year older. You've got Jermaine Burton a year older. Aaron Smith will actually hopefully factor in things this year. Now you throw Eric Gilbert in there. You've got Darnell Washington, who's grown up. You've got a, a whole stable of running backs. Throw Brock Bowers in there. Uh, A.D. Mitchell, Kiaris Jackson. Think about like all these names I'm throwing out there. 
uh, to go along with the quarterback and the offensive coordinator, who, I, who you guys know that Curtis and I are down down with, man. Like we believe in this guy. We think we've got the coordinator. We think we've got the quarterback. Now we've got all these skill players around them, and you throw in the offense explosion. How things have developed over time. I, I would honestly be disappointed if this offense does not set Georgia records for like total yards, yards per play, and points. Would you be disappointed, Curtis? Am I, am I crazy saying that? No, I think you got to like with everything that we have the possibility of having. I mean, answer, like, let's go here. Like, do you? I'll say this too: if we don't break Georgia records for offense this year, like again, total yards, yards per play, like the basic stuff. I don't think we're going to make a cultural playoff and win a national championship. Is that fair? Oh, I think that's very fair. You have to – even if your defense is good, you have to have an explosive offense. Yeah, if we want to be the team that we want to be, if we want to actually take that next step. And the only next step for us to take is we've been to the playoffs. We've won a playoff game. We've gotten to a national title game. We've gotten to overtime national title game. The only next step for us to take is to actually win it. If we want to do that and take that next step, we have to break George offensive records. We've got the defense. We know that. We've got to the next step offensively. That that's what's been holding us back. And if we don't do it, then we're not going to win to the level that we want to win at. So yeah, I I think this will be the best off in George history. I'm buying that, and I think it needs to be. It better be because if not, then I mean we've we've seen that story. Great defense and okay offense, good enough offense that that can win you a lot of games. It doesn't win you titles. So it better be. We'll say that. All right, let's take it one more step, Curtis. This next one, one more step. So that's comparing it to. Georgia offensive history, which again isn't like all that dynamic. If you go back and look in history, I mean, 484 yards per game was our high high point back in 2013. Let's say this is one more step, Curtis. Buy or sell this: the 2021 Georgia offense will finish inside the top five nationally in either yards per game or points per game. I'm gonna buy that though. The only reason I'm a little hesitant is like I look back. To like when LSU was really good two years ago in Alabama, right? As of going into the year, we don't have a true alpha. You know, LSU had Jamar Chase, Alabama had Devonta, you even had Waddle. But the fact of the matter, especially without Pickens, like that's the one thing we are missing is the alpha. That hurts. Um, which is the only thing I'm hesitant. Like, and any of our young guys could step up and be it, like a Burton or someone. Yeah, but, we don't have the proven alpha. We have options that could be that guy, but we don't know yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's and be diverse or. I mean, talented enough crew that we could still put up the numbers without having a true alpha like everyone else had. Because we just have so many options that can that can make a defense pay, yeah. And it might yeah. be like alpha by committee, right? Like it might be something like that. If, if that's even a thing you can be. But again, it's all about production. If, if if we can make if we can produce without having that one guy, then I'm okay. Whatever. Uh, all right, but let's look at this. So if we're gonna be Top five national. I'm going to go back last year, right? So North Carolina was number five nationally in total yards last year, total yards per game at 541.6. No, I'm telling you about 537.3. Bama was number four at 541.6. Go back to 2019. Uh, Clemson was number five in 2019 at 528.7 yards per play. 2018, it was UCF at 522.7. Bama was at number six at 522. So for us to be top five nationally, we're going to have to be somewhere probably around 525 to 530 yards a game. All right. So, again, last year we were 424 yards a game. That's 100 yards per game jump. Now, we did make about a 60-plus yard jump just with just by adding JT Daniels to the mix last year. All right. So, we've got him coming back. We've got all these young guys that he was working with last year who have grown up, hopefully. We've got a couple more options thrown into the mix there. Now, it's also minus George Pickens, like you mentioned, Curtis. But I mean, is it reason like 
Can, can we go another 50 yards per game this year? Can we make that jump? Oh, I think we could, even if you get it from the running backs. Like, it's possible, yes. I think it's certainly possible. I'm I'm not going to say likely yet, It's, but it's certainly possible. Like, I, I can kind of go either way. I know I'm not supposed to, like, you know, sit on the fence here. You know what? I'll... I'll buy it. Why not? Let's just go on, on and buy it. I think again. I think we have the coordinator. I think we have the with. I think we have the quarterback. And guys, I, I spent. You know, I'm I'm deep into scouting the enemy scouting right now. I guess so that's scouting the enemy scouting. Yeah, of course I. I'm deep into that. This summer we'll have that starting here in a couple of weeks. And I've also been going back and watching our games. I know I'm like my fourth rewatch of all of our games. And I've really, really been focusing on this. Each time I rewatch, I'm trying to focus on something different. I've really been focusing on just play calling, offensive play calling, and and, and what we've been trying to do schematically. And it just it, it makes my head hurt watching like specifically two games that we lost last year, Florida and Alabama. It I have to watch those games on mute because I just I can't. It just mm, it hurts. Still hurts. It still hurts. Still hurts to watch those games. But just watching those games on mute, I'm just sitting there. I'm cringing over and over again about how many receivers and tight ends and running backs we have running wide open all over the field all game. Long. I've lost count of how many points we left out on the field in those games. It's unbelievable. So now I, I, the coordinator's not the problem. I'm just telling you guys, he is not the problem. He did everything he could possibly do last year within the, the confines of what he had to work with. And then with JT now, who wasn't perfect last year, but was clearly a major step forward from what we had. Now he should be healthy, more weapons, guys knowing what to do. I, I think it's certainly possible. So I'm I, I'm going to go like, – I can't guarantee it. But, yeah, look, top five – can we get to 520, 530 yards a game? Yes. And maybe it's wishful thinking uh, because, again, like if we – like let's go back to the national champions here, right? So nat- last year, let's see, it was obviously Alabama. They averaged uh, 541 yards a game. Ohio State was the runner-up, 519 yards a game. You go to 2019, Clemson, 528 yards a game. Alabama, 510 yards a game. Ohio State, 529. Oklahoma, 537. Go to 2018, Clemson, 527. Uh, Alabama 522, Oklahoma 570. Are you guys noticing a trend here with all these playoff caliber teams? It's clear, right? Every single one of them are averaging over 500 yards again. All of these numbers, like 2020, 2019, 2018, with Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, all these teams feature offenses that are averaging well over 500 yards a game. So again, if we want to win a national title and take that final last step, not only do I want us to be top five national offense, we need to be, if you go back and look at history, if you want to be that team that's winning the whole thing, you've got to have the offense. So maybe, again, maybe it's wishful thinking, whatever, but I think it's certainly possible for the reasons we've laid out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. All right, let's move on to the next one here, Curtis. Let's stick with the offensive theme here for at least one more question. So if Georgia's offense is going to break records this season, like you and I are suggesting that we're going to, you have to imagine that new, I guess, receiver, right? Not tied in. New receiver commitment, Eric Gilbert, transfer from LSU, will likely be a big part of that. How big? Well, I mean, obviously that remains to be seen. We don't exactly know. But Curtis, let's go out on a limb on this. we got a couple of questions actually about this uh, for the mailbag. But buy or sell, in 2021, Eric Gilbert will become the second wide receiver in Georgia history to top 1,000 yards receiving in a single season. Buy or sell? Oh, I'm selling that 100%. Well, I think the guy could put up ridiculous numbers. I, I just don't see him getting to 1,000 when you have weapons like Kiaris and Trey Burton, just those two right there. Um, and you yeah. can throw in Marcus Rosemary, St. Jackson, all those guys up there. Too many miles to feed, man. Too many miles to feed. Now, it, let, let me substitute a name in here. If George Pickens was healthy, and I said in 2021, George Pickens will become the second wide receiver in Georgia history, top 1,000 yards. Are you buying or selling that? I would probably be more inclined to buy that, yes. I would be more inclined to buy that as well. Uh, and we, it's funny. We had the, basically the exact same questions last year, but it was also about Pickens. Like, hey, in 2020, will George Pickens be the second receiver in Georgia history to go over 1,000 yards? And the answer is obviously no. Now, there were some injury situations there. Obviously, we had quarterback problems that we weren't anticipating that we were going to have for most of the year. But, yeah, I mean, look, I'm as high on Eric Gilbert as any of y'all out there. Like, We're going we're gonna to have a scheme theme episode later on that we're putting together on that. But – I also I want to pump the brakes a little bit here. I I don't want to be unreasonable. Like we can be excited, but let's also be reasonable about this. Eric Gilbert was good last year for LSU, but the guy didn't even put up half of a thousand yards last year. Now he's a true freshman, different offense. They had quarterback issues too. Quarterback goes down the starting quarterback goes down the first three games. You got a couple of true freshmen that are vying for that job all year long. Sure. That certainly impacted things. He didn't play the entire year. He, you know, he kind of opted out there towards the end. So they're, they're extenuating circumstances there. But Eric Gilbert's new to this offense. So he's he's got to learn the offense. He wasn't here for spring practice. We have multiple receivers who have been here for a while who are ahead of him in the pecking chart right now uh, on the depth chart, So or pecking order in the depth chart. So you got to imagine, like, like right now, like, do you mean, like, if I said buy or sell, Eric Gilbert is going to start for Georgia week one against Clemson, are you buying or selling that? I'm going to buy that. Starting? Starting, I think I could, yeah. All right, so what he starts with the X at the X receiver position over Burton? I uh, move Burton back to Z. I think they move, may move Burton back to Z. Yeah, I mean, that's where he played last year. Obviously, he's got a comfort level there. I know he was repping X once Pickens went down before pick, before Burton himself got injured a little bit there. And he's still, obviously, in meeting room has been working on that. So maybe that's the option. You, can move, you, you move Eric to the X and you move – you keep uh, Burton at, at Z potentially – so you see him starting over a guy like Arian Smith, over a guy like A.D. Mitchell, potentially? I could, yes. What, what about Rosemey if he's healthy? See, that's the, that'll be the tough one. Rosemey's coming off such a gruesome injury, you just don't know. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah, it's tough. You don't know. But let's, say, let's just say for the sake of argument, Rosemey's back 100%. He's the Rosemey he was before the injury. No worse for the wear. Are you starting Rosemey, or, or would you pick Rosemey or Gilbert right now? Um, probably Rosemey. 
I think I probably would too. Just a familiarity with the offense. I think, and I, I mean, he's, I think Rosemi is so, so talented, man. This guy is like, he's got alpha potential written all over him, just like Burton does. I mean, we, they got to do it. They haven't done it yet, but they have the potential. But so does Eric Gilbert. So I don't know. It's, it's tough. I will say Kirby's going to make him come in and earn it like he does everybody. You don't want to be seeing it's just giving him the job. But look, he's going to play a lot regardless whether he start. like the word start, it doesn't even matter. Like, He's going to be the rotation. He's going to play a ton, but there's just so many miles to feed. I'm mean, just let me roll these names off again. So we said Rosamy, Kiaris Jackson, Burton, Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, Ad Mitchell, Arian Smith, all the running backs, right? Like there's just so many guys that you got to get involved in the game and get the ball to. That I just I don't see any one of them right now going over a thousand yards. I hope to God I'm wrong. That'd be awesome. It'd be crazy if we had two thousand yard receivers. We've never had that before, obviously. But uh, I don't know. Right now I'm gonna I'm gonna sell this. It'd be great, but I got I got to see a little bit more from Gilbert and see what he does once he gets here on campus and, and gets practicing before we can go out on that limb and say a thousand yards. All right, let's move on. Let's stick with the transfers. Let's get away from offense for a minute, but let's go to the transfer. I guess sticking with offense a little bit. Uh, but with his recruiting profile and the fact that he was from Georgia and we had recruited him for so long, Eric Gilbert's transfer announcement has gotten a lot of attention. I would say more attention and even somewhat overshadowed the transfer of Darian Kendrick from Clemson, who is a guy that, in my opinion, we desperately needed to shore up the secondary with much-needed experience there. So, Curtis, I'm interested in your take on this one. Buy or sell this. Darian Kendrick's transfer to Georgia is more important for Georgia's success in 2021 than the Eric Gilbert transfer is. I'm buying that just because, you know, we talked about, especially early in the season, you didn't want to start off with all these young guys um, having to cover the corners at Clemson. Yeah, I mean, like, look, there's going to be youth at different spots – on your team every year. There's going to be. It's just the nature of college football. Guys were in for a couple of years. They go off the NFL. It's just how things work, right? And look, like LSU had a great year with, with Stingley as their uh, starting quarterback as a true freshman a couple of years ago. There is precedent for that, okay? It happens. But rarely do you see a team go into a season with two guys that have essentially never played a meaningful snap in their life starting at cornerback. Very rarely do you see that. And if you see it, you certainly don't see it on title contending teams. That was certainly a concern, right? Absolutely. And some of those guys aren't talented. We've talked ad nauseum about how talented Keely Ringo and Jalen Kimber and Nylon Green, all these guys are extremely talented. That's not never been the problem. The concern has been the experience back there, when you're, especially when you open the season against a team like Clemson that has been as high-flying offensively as they have been for years. As a guy like DJ Uyunglele that can sling the ball all over the field, Justin Ross coming back. All those things are concerning. So having a guy like Darian Kendrick come in with all his experience, two-year starter at Clemson, former all-ACC all guy, all right, that is huge just from an experience that he understands to do. He's been in those moments. And also, Clemson's one of the two biggest games on the schedule, at least the regular season with Florida uh, along, alongside them there. And the fact that he's played, we mentioned this last week, that, he's, that he played at Clemson for a couple of years. He knows the schemes offensively they run. He knows the schemes they run offensively. He knows the personnel. Those things don't hurt. They certainly don't hurt. I don't know if it makes the, all the difference in the world, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And here's what I would say. And Kurt, tell me if you disagree. I would say that Gilbert, as great as he as highly talented as he is, he's not great yet. He hasn't been great yet, but he's got all the physical tools to be a freak. We know that. But I would say that Gilbert right now is a luxury that potentially puts us over the top. 
Are you with me on that? I am, especially because he has a lot of stuff he has to take care of too off the field to truly get himself in a position. Yeah, like we're still not a hundred percent sure that he's going to be eligible academically. I, it looks like he's on track to that. I don't think that we would have taken him if we didn't feel that was going to be the case. Yeah, I think from my understanding, he's got a couple classes he's got to finish up over the summer, which he should be able to do as long as things just stay on track. But it's still not a done deal. It's not a done deal until it's a done deal. Knock on wood. We just you know you don't know. But like we have, we mentioned all the weapons that we have offensively. Gilbert is fantastic, and he's another weapon to throw out there. But I still think that we were potentially going to be breaking Georgia records without Gilbert. Is, I mean, is that crazy? No, I don't think that is. Yeah, I think we were in line to potentially break records off Georgia offensive records without Gilbert. So I think he's a luxury that potentially puts us over the top for maybe a national title. He could, be, he could be that difference maker, potentially that does that for us, which you need to have, right? You need to have difference makers. But I think Kendrick is certainly, I would say, I would argue, based off need, more of a necessity for this team going into 2021 because we just were so thin on experience, basically non-existent experience at his position. I think it's just more of a need. It was more of a necessity, whereas Gilbert's more of a luxury. I'm not saying Kendrick's a better player than Gilbert. I don't think that he, that he is. I think, I think Kendrick's a pretty good player. And I've seen a lot of people kind of killing Kendrick, throwing out some numbers. You know, he, was, he wasn't great against the best competition. But let's not forget, guys. I, I want to throw this out there. We forgot to mention this last week. Darian Kendrick, guys, was recruited as an athlete. He was basically a wide receiver coming out of high school. He's played the cornerback position for two years. He's played it for two years, and he's gotten better each year. He's not perfect, but he's gotten better. And Kirby Smart's the guy that can develop cornerbacks. He's put those guys in the league. Eric Stokes, first round. DeAndre Baker, first round. I wish he was here for spring practice, but it was, he wasn't. You know, whatever. But he's going to have some time to get him developed there. So I, let's, let's, you know, let's understand there's some context there that saying that Kendrick was just – a scrub against the best players he played. Yeah, and you know, look, most guys don't fare as hey, well against the best guys, players. Our guys played. didn't fare too well against Alabama. Great point. Eric Stokes, first round player. Love Eric Stokes, great player. How'd he look out there against Alabama? I mean, uh, I mean, he was fine, but certainly not great. Tyson Campbell, second round pick, good player, really good player. Didn't look great against Alabama. Against the best competition, you're not going to look as good because those guys are better too, right? They're they're really good too. So you got to throw that out there. Kendrick is a good player, man. So let's I'd say he's a really good player at a major position position of need, more position of need than wide receiver. Receiver is also a position of need once once Pickens went down, but not as we weren't as in dire straits there as we were at cornerback. We just simply weren't. All right, moving on here. A couple more uh, in case you missed it. This sir, I wouldn't blame you if this kind of got lost in the shuffle last week with all the, the transfer news that we were all excited about. But just in case you missed it, Florida's Dan Mullen got a fairly hefty contract extension last week. And by fairly, by fairly hefty, I mean an annual raise of $1.5 million a year, up to $7.6 million through 2027. It includes a $12 million buyout if the Gators fire him. It also makes him the third highest paid coach in the SEC. And uh, and usually like it's like when you see contract extensions like this, they're usually seen as rewards. They're causes for celebration among fan bases because it means like, hey, we're keeping our guy around for at least a little bit longer. Well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that, but it gives you at least some more, a little bit more sense of security there. You can kind of rest your head softly at night. But Curtis, I have a little bit of a different view of this one. If you guys have heard me talk about Dan Mullen before, you probably know where I'm going with this. So buy or sell, Curtis. Dan Mullen's contract extension at Florida is good news for the Georgia Bulldogs. Buy or sell? I buy it. All these people saying that we need to be afraid of Dan Mullen. Like, the only year he's beat us is look how bad we were, all the injuries we had when we came to play him. 
Other than that, I've never truly been afraid of him. But yet all these Georgia fans are like, oh, it's a terrible thing. Like, why? He doesn't hurt us on the recruiting trail. Where does he beat us? I, I just – I mean, he beat us on the field last year. I, I'll give him – I'll tip my captain. You're right. Injuries certainly factored into that. The fact that we didn't have JT Daniels playing quarterback, we didn't have George Pickens in that game, no Jordan Davis, no Richard LeCount, all these guys out, right? No Devontae Wyatt in that game. Marcus Rosemary's leg falls off. I mean, like it, it just it was comical. Like I, I mean, literally, I walked out of the stadium in Lexington last year. Remember that was who we played before Florida. After all those injuries, and I was like, we're not beating Florida next week. It's just not happening. Like I, I was. It was actually. It was literally. It was my birthday, and I was like, oh god. Like I was. You know, I was just. It was. I was down. Like we just won this game. I'm out. You know, it was during the pandemic. So I'm out trying to have like a little bit of fun, which you couldn't really do during the pandemic. You think I'd be in a great mood? I was like, no, we're just like we're gonna lose next week, and it's not gonna be pretty. It's just it's not gonna be pretty. It's like something that like. Look, Dan Mullen, give him credit. They won last last year, but it's not like he was facing Georgia at full strength. Okay, there's some extenuating circumstances there, and you can call you, you can say that's sour grapes or whatever. Fine, whatever. Uh, look, I'll say this about Dan Mullen. Like, I know I give Dan Mullen a hard time, and I think deservedly so. But he's a good coach. All right, he is a good coach. I'm not sitting here saying that Dan Mullen is an absolute bum and he can't coach anyone. Dan Mullen is a good coach. I just think he gets far too much credit for being this like offensive mastermind, really good offensive coach. But I just think he gets too much credit as being like one of the top coaches in college football. And I just, I don't, I guess it's coming from Mississippi State when he helped, you know, led a program that's traditionally not very good to, to, hey, they were, I think they were the first number one team in the college football playoff rankings, if I remember correctly. That's something, like, he's a good coach. Like he is a good coach. I think his first three years at Florida is 29 and nine, three straight New Year's Six Bowls, an SEC title game appearance. Good coach. He's a good coach. But here's the thing, man it's all relative. Because in my opinion, as I've laid out many times, I'm not going to go crazy off the rails here because you guys have heard me say this many times. Good coach. I just don't think he's a better college football coach than Kirby Smart. I just don't. I know that's that kind of flies in the face of what the, the prevailing thought is out there in the national media and how people perceive those two coaches. But I, I just don't think he's a better college football coach than Kirby. Doing all the things that college football coaches have to do. And yes, recruiting is a major part of the job description for a college football coach. And that's where it comes, you mentioned the curve. that's where it comes down to for me. He just can't recruit. It's not even the same universe, man. It's not the same solar system. So here's why I like the fact that Dan Mullen's staying and why I'm buying that it's good news for us. Look, I don't want Florida to have a good coach and he is a good coach, but they will never and I mean it, guys. I don't, you know I don't like to speak in absolutes. I'm going to speak in absolutes here. As long as Dan Mullen is the head coach at Florida, they will never, 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 did I say never? Never have a more talented roster than Georgia. Is that crazy, Curtis? No, not at all. They are never going to have a more talented roster than this because they just don't recruit like that. He can't do it because he's a weird dude, man. He's a weird dude, and he just has trouble connecting with players. That's just the bottom line. He's an awkward dude, all right? Kirby is going to recruit circles around him. He's been doing it for years. We'll continue to do it. That's not going to change. Now, that doesn't mean that Dan Mullen at Florida can't, you know, every couple of years beat us when we're in a transition year like last year. Yeah, that can happen, and it probably will happen. But he will never consistently beat us. He's they will never like like the string of however many it was that they ran off, you know, in the 90s or whatever. There's it's never gonna be close to that. I don't even think they'll win two in a row. I don't think they'll win three in a row. Now maybe I'll be proven wrong and that's fine. I'll 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 eat my crow if I have to. But based off what I've seen so far, I don't think Ford will ever consistently beat us 
with Dan Mullen as head coach. Here's what I I, I, I guess kind of wrap this up. I think with Mullen, that Florida program has a really high floor. Like they're not going to be bad. I don't see them like fall off the face of the earth and being like bad because he's a good coach. But there's a cap on their ceiling with Dan Mullen because they just don't consistently recruit well enough. Now, every couple of years, they can get a veteran quarterback, and they can, get, they can get a guy from the transfer portal to come in and play. They can have a Kyle Pitts, a generational type guy. It can happen every couple of years, but that's going to be the exception. They'll be better than most teams they play because they're Florida, and they can recruit better than most of those teams. They'll be recruit better than South Carolina. They'll probably recruit better than Tennessee and Missouri and all those teams, but they're never going to recruit better than us with Kirby Smart. Just never going to happen. So, hey, look, I, I know the most talented team doesn't always win, but more often than not, they do. I've always said I will take talent over experience and all that. You got talent acquisition, talent deployment, and, and talent development. I think talent procurement, the accumulation of talent, is the most important element of winning at a big level. And we're always, in my opinion, going to have more talent than Florida with Dan Mullen head coach. So, yeah, I'm buying that. It's actually good news for us. And I know like, there could be that like, he could leave. They can hire like a Ron Zook type guy that can even be, be even better news for us. But Dan Mullen's one of those guys, like he's just good enough. He'll always be good enough to, to stick around, but never be consistently good enough to like, take that next step in my opinion is it doesn't recruit like that so yeah i i'm I'm gonna buy that say it's good news for us you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com you're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, let's move on here. Mola's extension. Wasn't the only coaching extension news the past week. As earlier today, Kurt, did you see this with Saban? I did see it, yeah. Yeah, so if you guys missed this, uh, earlier today, Bama announced that Nick Saban has also been extended for another three seasons by the Crimson Tide through the 2028 season, confirming to all of us that Nick Saban is immortal. It's official. He's immortal, and he will never not be the coach of Alabama. It's just never going to happen. And of course... Famously, not one former Saban assistant has ever managed to beat him to this point. He is now, after the 2020 season, he's now 22-0 against former assistants. And get this, this is a crazy number. Not only is he 22-0, he's beaten his former assistants by a combined score of 945 to 380. Basically, like tripled them up. It's crazy. Uh, but you kind of believe it's going to happen sometime, right? Like maybe eventually. So, Kurt, buy or sell. Kirby Smart will be the first former Nick Saban assistant to beat the old boss. I'm going to buy it just because I think you have to look across the board right now. And the only one, Kirby's the only one I can see, especially going into this next year that has the ability to beat him. Um, A&M just has a lot of pieces that they lost. It's got to be Jimbo or Kirby though, right? Exactly. I mean, as of right now, like things could change. I mean, there's different guys, uh, like Billy Napier, UL Lafayette. Like he could eventually get a, a power five job, and he'd be up there. But like, right? I mean, Jeremy Pruitt's gone now, so it, it, right now the the odds on favorites are going to be Jimbo or Kirby. And I will say, Jimbo gets to play in the regular season every year. 
So I don't know if he gets to, but he he has to play him every year in the regular season. So there's more opportunities for Jimbo to do that. Whereas Kirby, I mean, after last year, if he's going to do it, it's going to be in the SEC title game or the the postseason somewhere. But I, I would still go with Kirby here as well. I'm going to buy this. I hate to agree with you on all these, but I'm, I'm not, I think you're right here. You, you got some good answers. I'm going to go buy. Um, listen to these numbers. Jimbo Fisher and three. Let's just take Jimbo. I know they played at Florida when Jimbo was at Florida State. But let's just take Jimbo since, since he's been at AM for the past three years. Come back to 2018. Since 2018, last three games against Alabama, the Crimson Tide have outscored Jimbo's AM teams 144 to 75. They've beaten them by an average of 23 points. All right. Kirby Smart, yeah, has not beaten Nick Saban, but he's become cl- far closer than anyone on a pretty consistent basis. Kirby's been outscored by Saban's teams in three matchups, 102 to 75, an average of nine points. Kirby has been close, and like two of those games were one touchdown game. So, the national championship game was a field goal game, and the 2018 SEC title game was a touchdown game. And then, of course, last year's 17 point game, but you know, sets and Bennett and issues and whatnot. But it happened, right? So average of nine points. So if you're looking at that, yes, Jimbo gets more opportunities on an annual basis, but Kirby in his matchups has given Saban far better games than Jimbo Fisher's AM teams have. I mean, average 23 point loss for Jimbo, average nine point loss for Kirby. So yeah, I'm gonna and I don't think Jimbo has a team this year. I think we do have the team this year if we end up playing them in the SEC title game. So yeah, I, I'm gonna go Kirby here as well. All right, moving on here. We've got a couple more real fast. Uh, actually, this might be the last one we have time for. All right, so in other news that hit today, we're going to go on the recruiting front here just for a minute because obviously all eyes are on the recruiting front right now. The dead period was lifted last week, and it's uh, it's a free-for-all right now ac- across the college ball landscape with all these recruits going all over the place. So uh, not all that surprising that hit today that former defensive tackle commit Bear Alexander from Texas has decommitted from Georgia – uh, but he's still considering the dogs for whatever that's worth. He says we're still in the picture. Uh, sometimes that means something. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they just say that to kind of soften the blow. But we'll see how, how that transpires. But now, Curtis, with Alexander as a former commit that we are still recruiting, buy or sell this. Bear Alexander is now the most important uncommitted prospect for Georgia in the 2022 recruiting class. I'm going to sell it just because I think this is one of the deepest defensive line recruiting classes we've seen in a while, that especially that considering that we have a chance in getting. Um, so that, I think that's going to be the biggest reason I sell because you still have um, two guys just from the state of Georgia and Christian uh, Harris, I believe, or um, Miller, Christian Miller, Christian Miller and Michael Williams. Yeah. Um, both of those guys could very well do it. You have uh, Shaw and um, Adam Warren. And Walter Nolan out of Tennessee, who it looks like he decided to hold off on his commitment. Um, so I, I think that that that's the only reason I go with the sell is just this is such a deep class. Yeah, this is a tough one for me because uh, I think that nose guard is a major position of need for us next year with Jordan Davis moving on. Like we have to have somebody to replace, and like, we have some guys that can play that position. That can they play it as well as Jordan? No, they don't. They're not that. We don't have a guy on the roster that's a Jordan Davis body type, and. Bear Alexander is not a carbon copy of Jordan Davis in terms of his body type, but he's the closest thing. If he if he came to Athens, if he was on our team right now, he'd be the closest thing that we'd have to Jordan right now on the roster, right? So I think he was kind of penciled in to be the heir apparent to Jordan Davis. He's 6'3", 325 right now, and we need a guy like that. Again, we have guys that can play nose. 
but we need a guy that with that bite side that can really eat up space and just control the run game like Jordan Davis to be able to, because that's a key of a lot of what we do defensively. We're like one of the keys to defending modern offenses. We talked about this before in the show is being able to stop the spread run game without having to dedicate additional bodies to that task. So you can play two high safeties back there and you can play three over two or whatever you want to do back there, do a lot of different things. And the key to that is being able to stop the spread run game with even numbers. And having a guy like Jordan Davis in the middle is a very, very important piece of being able to do that. So I think Bear, from that perspective, Bear Alexander, having a guy like Bear Alexander is extraordinarily important. But you're right, Curtis. I think I'm going to sell this to this one kind of tentatively here because I do think that's maybe the most important position that we're recruiting right now. But you're right. There are multiple options out there. And we look, we don't have to get all of them. We need to get one of them, right? Now, Travis Shaw is the one that I'm really looking at because I think he's the one that can play that zero-tech nose guard. Walter, Nor- Walter Nolan is extraordinarily talented. I think he's probably more talented than Shaw, but I don't know if he's that true Jordan Davis-type nose guard. I'd still love to have him, absolutely. I think he's more of a three-tech guy that can play. He can play the zero if he needs to. He can move out and play the five also. He's got that kind of versatility and that kind of athleticism. But Travis Shaw is a guy right now. He needs to add somebody who has the frame to do it that I think could potentially play that zero-tech nose guard and kind of in somewhat replace the shoes that Jordan Davis is going to be uh, leaving behind um, next year. So yeah, like, it's not ideal to lose a guy like this. A little, we might, do you buy that curse? Like, do you think we're really still in it for him? No, I don't. I think he'll end up back at A&M. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a Texas guy and also Nick Williams, which is a guy that, uh, that was a, a, a behind the scenes guy for us for a while here. I, was he a GA? So he was a support staffer. I don't think he was ever a GA. I think he was a GA. But support staff for us. He got a, he got an on field. He got a job at A and M. Got a nice raise there, and he is um, now with the Aggies. And he was a big part of recruiting some of these guys that we've gotten. Like Keely Ringo, he was instrumental in, recru- instrumental in recruiting Keely Ringo. He did. He's been a big part of recruiting Bear Alexander. Some of those guys. So I think in the short term, losing a guy like Nick Williams A and M will hurt. Like with this class specifically, because those guys have built relationships with him. I don't think it's going to be a long term massive. Loss. He's a good recruiter. I would love for him to still be on our staff. Um, he's a young up-and-coming guy. He used to play at George, if you remember, years ago. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll hurt us in the short term with some of these guys that he's been recruiting while he, while he was here at Georgia going back a couple of months, years even. But I don't think it'll be a long-term massive loss because we'll be able to find some guys to replace that. We recruit really well. But, yeah, I think he's a Texas guy, Nick Williams connection there. He was at, he was at A&M this past weekend. So, yeah, I think he's probably A&M bound. But we have some other options. Well, now we need to land one of those, but we certainly do have some other options. All right, guys, we got to get out of here. So that does it for us today here on the Glory UGA podcast. You guys know we appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to and support the show here during the football offseason. You know that we'll have you guys covered all the way leading up to the 2021 season. I know it. we're in this kind of time of the year where it seems like it's so far away, like three months can be a long time, but we're so close. We're getting so close, getting closer each and every day, and we've got you guys covered all throughout these summer months. Like I said earlier in the episode, we'll be starting our annual Summer Scout on the Enemy series. Obviously, this season, we're going to be opening up with Clemson. We've been working on that one for a while, so we're having a lot of fun doing that episode. That'll be coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We'll have another Scheme Theme episode later on this week, focusing on Eric Gilbert and how he can be a game changer for the Georgia offense. So a lot of great stuff over the next couple weeks and on into the summer. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, and as always... Go Dawgs!